Hey guys, this is an emergency episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Welcome in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Flying solo for this emergency triage 911 version of the podcast because late last night, I'm recording this on Monday. Hopefully you're getting this on Monday. Late last night at about 10 o'clock, Cal McNair put out a statement announcing that the Texans are moving on. They are firing Lovey Smith as head coach. I don't think it's a huge surprise. Nick Casario also putting out a statement. So for those wondering if there was going to be a complete top-to-bottom house cleaning with the Texans from GM on down, the answer to that is no. Nick Casario will be part of the search for the next head coach. But I wanted to share with you my thoughts on this. How did we get here with Lovey Smith? Where do we go from here with the Texans? Where are we at with Nick Casario as well? Um, a lot of questions, a lot to unpack, and I hope to do it here in a nice, quick, consumable form for you in this solo podcast. Let's start with how do we get here with Lovey? I don't know that when, when Lovey was hired, we know the weird situation under which he was hired. The Brian Flores lawsuit, a team, the Texans that were very transparent about their head coaching search, literally posting who was interviewing for the job each time, literally disclosing who the finalists were for the job. Neither of those categories ever included Lovey Smith. End up hiring Lovey Smith out of nowhere on a Sunday night. Probably pretty appropriate that he got fired late on a Sunday night because he got hired out of nowhere late on a Sunday night back in late January, I believe it was, maybe early February. And so I think there was always a feeling that this was a compromise of sorts, that this was, okay, we realize we're still way down at the bottom of this rebuild. They rebuilt the the, the draft capital, or at least they didn't give away all their draft capital in 2022. They had a normal draft. But at the time, they still had Deshaun Watson on the roster. Back in early 2022, the salary cap was still in hell in early 2022. So you could tell, I think, by the candidates that were up for this job, the Texans had never really been honed in on any of the grade A five-star candidates. Will that change this time around? We'll get to that a little bit later. But I think just to, to lay the, the the groundwork for how did we get here with Lovey Smith getting fired, I think we need to preface it by saying it was an, an unconventional hire to begin with that didn't ever feel like a long, long-term long situation. I will say it didn't feel like it was going to be a one-and-done just because of the optics of firing two head coaches in two years, particularly two minority head coaches in two years. But I think that speaks to the degree to which this team underachieved. And I know it was already a team that was only forecasted to be a four-and-a-half win team by Vegas coming into the year. They won three, technically I guess we'll call it three-and-a-half games. Count the tie as half a win, I suppose. Um, It wasn't in the end about the fact that, well, they won one fewer game than what Vegas said, so let's fire the guy. If you watch this team on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, you know that they were cataclysmically poor in some very key areas that I think people were hoping were going to be better in 2022 than 2021 under David Culley. 
the defense was a really, really poor run defense. It was a really poor tackling defense. That's a direct reflection on the defensive coordinator who happens to be head coach Lovey Smith. So that that was their run defense was so bad it was pop Warner level embarrassing at times this year. Some of the yardage they gave up. I think about the Bears in week three when they gave up over 300 yards to the Bears. And that was back before Justin Fields had kind of evolved into what he evolved into later in the season. That was back when Justin Fields felt like he was almost out of the league. Derrick Henry kept his streak of 200-yard games alive against the Texans. Um, It was just a really, really bad run defense, like horribly bad. So that's number one. I think the biggest thing that ended up undoing Lovey Smith was the offense. Pep Hamilton was his guy. He stood by Pep Hamilton. He let Pep Hamilton pick the staff, and this offense was was atrocious this year. If it weren't for Damian Pierce, this would have been the most unwatchable offense in my time of being an NFL fan. Damian Pierce was the only fun thing to watch about this offense all season long. And Pep Hamilton, who gets a lot of credit for helping develop quarterbacks, Maybe as a quarterback coach, he was good for this team last year, but he is an atrocious offensive coordinator. His play selection leaves a lot to be desired. The continued reliance on Rex Burkhead in gotta-have-it situations was one of the most frustrating things I've ever experienced as a Texan fan. This offense was trash, and that's on Lovey Smith because he vouched for Pep Hamilton. He wanted Pep Hamilton to be his O.C., and this, you you can have the worst offense. You can't have an offense that generates under 40 yards of total offense in first halves of games three times within a month. It just can't happen. Lovey's conservative game management, I think, is something that certainly frustrates fans when he goes for it, when he punts and and accepts a tie in week one, especially when he goes for two in a game that, damage the Texans draft capital against the same team at the end of the year. But I think Lovey's conservative game management and I think his defensive approach, especially in light of the fact they used the third overall pick on a cornerback who's supposed to be a takeaway half the field guy in Derek Stingley. Not Lovey's fault Stingley got hurt. It is Lovey's fault that for the first 10 games when Stingley was healthy, he was being asked to do things that you could have used a cornerback you drafted in the fifth round to do or picked up a street-free agent to do. Watching Derek Stingley play in a conservative zone defense is something I will not miss when they hire whoever the next defensive coordinator is. I think those are all the things that did Lovey in. If you're vouching for Lovey and saying that he should have kept his job, what I would ask you is, so do you think he did a good job this year? I don't want to hear that he had a bad roster. Who else would have won with this roster? I get that they have a bad roster. You go in with certain expectations for a team. And my expectation wasn't that they would win games, but it was that they would be competitive, that they would be a team that um, that uh, teams don't want to play, you know, maybe because they're physical, things like that. And while they showed certain specific glimpses of it at certain times in the year, by and large, this was a team that was a laughing stock for most of the season. I think a lot of their close scores – were very phony close scores. I think when they were playing in close games against good teams, those were teams that are overlooking them by and large. I think they relied on turnovers quite a bit at the end of the year to hang around in games. 
if you're looking for a stretch of schedule that did in Lovey Smith, it was from about the bye week through the Cleveland game, week seven through 13, where they were atrocious defending the run. They were uber atrocious offensively. And quite honestly, they had an opportunity with that Cleveland game to beat Deshaun Watson, and they didn't do it. That might have been something alone that would have made the McNairs think about keeping Lovey Smith around and Nick Casario maybe, but the Deshaun Watson thing probably more emotional for the McNairs than for Nick Casario. Um, but I, I have no problem. If you if if I ask you the question, did Lovey Smith do a good job? The answer isn't, well, he had nothing to work with. I want a yes or a no. Did he do a good job? And if the answer is yes, I need you to tell me why he you think he did a good job. Not because we didn't have anything to work with and he won three games. Tell me what about this team was happening in 2022 that made you feel optimistic about 2023 with Lovey Smith. And I think if you ask yourself that question, you'll see that it's not all that crazy a decision to fire him. If the only thing that's saving your job, if you're Lovey Smith, is because they fired the previous guy after one year, that's not a reason to keep a guy. Guy's doing a bad job, you get rid of him. Now, as far as, as far as Nick Casario goes, and I know a lot of you are going to say, well, what about the guy who's hiring these coaches after and firing them after one year? These are on his ticket, are they not? Nick Casario. Why, is he, why does he still have a job? Why is he getting a chance to hire a third head coach? And I'll give you my take here without knowing what the conversations were like when Nick took over this job, when he sat down with Cal McNair and was able to assess things, take a look at the complete nuclear bomb that was dropped on the team's salary cap by Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, the complete nuclear bomb that was dropped on the draft capital for Nick's first draft in 2021, not to mention the lack of young players on the team because of the nuking of the previous year's draft in 2020. So I don't know what those conversations were like. It, they very well could have been, hey, look, Cal, there's going to be a lot of churn that goes on over the first two years till I get this thing back in order, including hiring a couple coaches. So we may have to, we may have to stomach this thing for a while. I don't know that those conversations took place. But if your argument is, well, then fire Nick Casario as well, I do disagree with that. And this is not me saying that Nick Casario has been perfect at his job. And we'll go through the balance sheet on Nick Casario in just a second. But I do think these were extraordinary, extraordinary detrimental circumstances under which Nick took over this job with the salaries, the contracts, Jack Easterby in the building. All things that Nick knew when he took the job over, which leads me to believe that he had a pretty clear idea and gave ownership a pretty clear idea that this is going to take a while. Hence, he got a six-year contract. That's not normal for general managers. So while the team is going through all sorts of pain right now and angst right now and criticism right now, heavy criticism, mostly from national people, but certainly a lot of local people as well, um, I think they probably saw this day coming and several days like this over the first couple of years of, of Nick Casario's tenure here. But what I would say about you fired these two guys, why does Nick Casario get a pass? I think it's a tough comparison to compare the head coaching job to the GM job. The GM job, particularly one where it feels like you're taking over, not in year one, but like in year negative one. Like it feels like 2021 was year negative one and 2022 is year zero. And now finally they trade Deshaun Watson. They've got draft capital. They've got a few young players and they've got salary cap space. These are things that typically teams already have when general managers are taking over. 
I think the GM job is more of a longer arc, bigger building, foundation building, assess it over a few years type of job. Where there is, whereas the head coaching job, there is an immediacy to seeing, okay, is talent being developed? What is happening on a game day? What is the decision making like? Nick's decisions that he's made so far these first two years might wind up being bad decisions, and he's not made all good decisions. He may have made more bad than good. Who knows? I don't know what the ratio is for a normal GM. I've got some of the highlights listed in front of me. I'll get to in a second. But I just think it's apples and oranges to compare the GM job to the head coaching job. Independent of the Texans and Nick Casario, it's a tough comp. And my other feeling specific to Nick is that the hardest thing he's been asked to do so far, because he's been handcuffed with salary cap space, he's not really been asked to make any big free agency decisions that may come this off season because he hasn't had the resources to do it. The biggest decision he's been asked or the biggest task he's been asked to do is trade Deshaun Watson. And I thought he did a pretty good job of that. All things considered. So, which also points to the fact that all those things I listed about taking over the job, I didn't even mention the fact that when Nick got here, Deshaun Watson wanted to trade and then he got sued by a bunch of people. There's a lot of unprecedented stuff going on with Nick and the GM job. With David Culley and more recently with Lovey Smith, there's nothing unprecedented about what they're doing. They took over a bad team, and the team seemed to be worse, a whole lot worse than we thought they could be at the beginning of the season. If it were a young coach I was hopeful about taking that job, taking Lovey Smith's job, then I probably would feel differently about it. But I never felt like Lovey was the long-term answer anyways. As the year went on, Lovey's act kind of tired me as well. For a guy who I think is a pretty good guy, he was kind of smug in press conferences, did not take criticism very well, I don't think, got kind of sensitive with the media. Those aren't reasons to fire guys, but those are things that I'm glad I don't have to endure anymore. But back to Nick and the GM job, um, I feel like the fair thing to do with Casario, since to me the hardest task he was asked to do was trade Deshaun Watson, and he got three first-round picks, is you got to let him see through at least a couple of those first-round picks from the Deshaun trade. Now, which again, let's go into the balance sheet of Nick Casario on this, because I know there's a lot of you out there that feel like Nick Casario should have been fired. I'm not one of those people. If we're looking at the good, the good that Nick Casario's done, I think the Watson trade, as I mentioned, I think there's some pieces in this rookie class that are good. Jalen Petrie, Christian Harris, Damian Pierce. Tegan Cotoriano did some good things yesterday. He looks like he might be a real find in the later rounds. He cleaned up the salary cap, which was really more just about probably just enduring, enduring a couple of years of hardship than it was any sort of genius math. But he, you know, he didn't chase any bad money after good, that kind of thing. So the cap is clean. There are some young pieces there's some heavy draft capital moving forward for the team because of the Watson trade. And I do think some of the signings that he's made with the one-year guys, the short-term vets have been decent signings. I think Malik Collins, good signing. Desmond King, even though Desmond King's been playing flag football the last couple weeks of the season, good signing. Obo Okoronkwo, we'll see. Um, you know, Jordan Akins has come back and been an impact player. Steven Nelson, I think there's some good signings that he's made. So those are the good. As far as the bad, However you feel about the head coaching hires, and I will say this, that I think both of them were under strange circumstances without a full pool of candidates that would really want this job for a variety of reasons. I think it should be a bigger pool this time around. If you're, if you're 
thought is you're not allowed to hire a third head coach as a GM, then there's really no argument left. That's how you feel. I feel differently. And we just go away from there. As far as the bad goes, though, for actual transactions and decisions, the Shaq Lawson thing was really bad. One of his first big decisions, trading Bernardrick McKinney for Shaq Lawson, guaranteeing him $8 bucks, and then Shaq Lawson was garbage. The Brandon Cooks contract might be the big one where you give Cooks an extension, nearly fully guaranteed, and then as a culture guy who's going to be here through thick and thin, and then it turns out Brandon Cooks is a total fraud. And that as soon as Jack Easterby gets fired, Brandon Cooks turns into a baby and stays away from the team and skips a game. So I think I think that the Brandon Cooks contract may turn out to be a bad one. I think the allowing guys out of deals, you know, that want to get out, that request their way out, that bellyache their way out, Kamu Gruzier Hill, things like that, you know, just that you allow a guy to walk. And I know Nick, Nick would say some of the reporting on that was – was not great. He said that on our show on Sports Radio 610. But I just think in general, some of the guys they brought in to be culture setters, and this plays into Cooks as well, maybe as it turns out, are not really culture setters. They were just Easterby guys. So that's got to be, the, you know, the, the Nick's fingerprints have to be on that a little bit, I would think. And then the big thing for me is the two first-round picks from this year. You know, you draft Derek Stingley, who is injury-prone, and he finishes the season on IR. You draft Kenyon Green with the 15th overall pick. Your first swing at a at a player with a pick from the Deshaun Watson trade. And Kenyon Green was one of the worst guards in football this year. I'm not burying either of those two guys. I think they both got a chance to be good. I'm still optimistic about Stingley. Kenyon Green, we'll see. But that's absolutely something where the possession arrow is pointed against Nick Casario right now. So like any normal GM, he's got his hits, he's got his misses. I just, I just wouldn't fire him right now. I don't think he's done. If you ask me, do I think Nick Casario's done a good job? I think Nick's done a good enough job to keep his job. I think there's enough that he's done so far where uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't have complete trust in him as far as being the guy who will complete this rebuild. But I think he's done a lot of positive things. All right, so that's so that's my feelings on the Casario part of this. I know that's a big thing with a lot of people, um, especially with our show um, with Payne and Pendergast, knowing that Nick is a fairly frequent guest as GMs go on our on our show, and I'm sure he'll be coming on our show in the next few weeks. I'm guessing to talk about the off season and the firing of Lovey Smith and so forth. As far as where the Texans go from here, um, I think there's going to be a bigger pool of candidates this time around. I think this is a much better job this time around than it's been through either of the last two cycles. I think there's reasons you wind up on David Culley the first time around. I think there's reasons both having to do with the team and having to do with the Flores lawsuit that you wind up with Lovey Smith. I will tell you, I don't think it's going to be one of these nuclear bomb kind of hires. I don't know why I keep using nuclear bombs as examples of things. Um, but I don't think, like if people are talking about Jim Harbaugh, Sean Payton, this doesn't feel like a situation like that because I feel like Harbaugh and Payton are going to be guys who either want to handpick a GM and or have complete say over personnel. Nick Casario is clearly going to be part of the process in hiring this next GM. Cal McNair said it in his statement. So whether you like Nick or whether you don't like Nick, just know that he's going to be part of this. He's here moving forward. So I think the candidates become guys that are Hot coordinators, which I would love after getting two guys in their 60s. 
I would love to get D'Amico Ryans, Shane Steichen from Philadelphia. Jonathan Gannon was a finalist last time around, or at least made it deep into the process last time around, the D.C. from Philadelphia. Either of those guys, Steichen or Gannon, either of the Eagle coordinators, and then bringing Brian Johnson, hopefully with them, who's the quarterback's coach in Philly right now, who's from Houston, went to Baytown Lee. He's the second greatest quarterback in the history of Baytown Lee behind Clint Sterner. I think you'll probably hear Gerard Mayo's name came up in the last cycle, ended up not interviewing for the job. Linebacker with the Patriots for many years, and he's a position coach with the Patriots. I think it'd be silly to think that there weren't going to be some guys who had Patriot roots that aren't going to be in on this job if Casario's part of the interviewing process. And maybe some of the guys who interviewed last time. Joe Lombardi's the OC in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Um, it would stand a reason that if they interviewed him last time that they may reach out to him again. D'Amico is the one everybody wants. We'll see if this is a job that D'Amico wants, but I'm virtually certain that he is on their list. I know it's going to be a list of really, really good candidates that they're going to go after, hopefully with the fact that they've got a ton of draft capital, they've got some young pieces, they've got the cap space, they've got Deshaun Watson out of the building, they've got Jack Easterby out of the building, they've got an owner that's willing to spend. I think maybe for a lot of guys it'll come down to their trust in Casario to be uh, the GM, and maybe even more so what they feel like it will be to work with Nick Casario. Because I think there's a big feeling with these first two hires that Casario's had at head coach that he's basically just hiring yes-men. But I think I think if you compare the Houston job to Carolina, Indianapolis, Denver, those are the three other jobs that are open as I'm recording this. Um, I think I think it's the best of those four jobs. And I think if Arizona opens up, it's a better job than Arizona. And I think if, say, L.A. opens up, the Rams, if that were to open up, because word is Sean McVay is really assessing his future and it sounds like he may be gone, I think it's definitely a better job than the Rams. The Rams have no draft picks and they're up against the cap. And Matthew Stafford is old. If it were a great job, Sean McVay would probably be staying there, is my guess. So I think there's a chance that on paper, at least, the Texans have the best job of any of the jobs out there when the when the cycle starts. Do candidates feel the same way? That's what we'll have to find out. So those are my thoughts. I guess just to sum up, Lovey Smith gone, have no problem with it, really hopeful for the future. I'm excited about what this, this coaching search could yield compared to the last two. And I know a lot of people are angry with Casario. Uh, my feeling on Nick, he has not been perfect, but uh, I don't think he should be fired. I do think that the target is squarely on Casario now. There's nowhere to hide. Nowhere to hide. Um, now, I'm not saying he's been hiding, but that, like he's the guy now. Like if, if we're here a year from now and we're talking about even more regression, then there does need to probably be some serious conversations about Casario because then it will be fully a bed that he has made at that point as opposed to a bed that he's either inherited or kind of made in conjunction with ownership when it comes to some of these coaching decisions. It's Nick Casario's show now. All right, so that's the emergency episode. If you guys miss John, I miss him too, but he'll be back tomorrow, and we're going to be recording a mailbag episode for Wednesday this week. Email your questions. We've got draft stuff. We've got coaching search stuff. 
mailbag at gmail.com. Love to get your questions. mailbag at gmail.com. Until then, I will see everybody at 6 a.m. bright and early on Tuesday morning. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you downloading the podcast. Appreciate Figgy Fig for getting it to you. This has been the emergency episode. Lovey Smith fired 911 episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Thank you very much.